Let us pray. Lord God, on this day, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts, the feelings, the doubts, the inspirations, the hopes, the dreams that those words elicit within our heart be acceptable in thy sight and lead us to know what to do and to do it. All of this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a child in the Presbyterian Church, the only hymn book I knew, in fact the only hymn book I knew from the time I was a child uh, through the first ten years of my ministry, was affectionately called the Red Hymn Book. Many of you know it. Many of you grew up on it. It had a more formal name, the Hymn Book. <laughs> Presbyterians have never been particularly creative about naming our hymn books. What I specifically remember about this hymn book was that in the back there were portions of Scripture that were printed. A little more than half of them were psalms. They were printed in black and red ink. The minister would say the black part and the congregation would respond by saying the red part. But when it got to the New Testament, the first selection from the New Testament was the Beatitudes, and they were all printed in red. And from time to time, the congregation would stand and say them. In this service, we have just heard a portion of them read and sung. The choir will sing the full text later. But what I would like you to do now is to hear them. Hear them quietly and slowly. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As many of you know, the Beatitudes are the most famous of Jesus' earliest teaching. 
the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Having endured 40 days and nights of temptation in the wilderness, having called his disciples, Jesus ventures up an unnamed mountain and assuming the posture of a rabbi, sits to teach. In front of him are his disciples. Beyond them are other followers fanning out into the distance. For centuries, Christians have tried to figure out what to do with the Beatitudes, specifically what their role and purpose is. They are so peaceful and passive. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers. I want to share with you a sampling of conversations I've had with people in or near our congregation in just the last few weeks that reveal the nature of the world in which we live, the nature of the world in which these Beatitudes face particular challenge. The consideration of having our children tested to see which preschool they can enter. Better yet, which college. A member who recently shared with me that he was awaiting word of the release of a new product to determine the next case in which he would likely litigate through his firm. The process of ending a lengthy marriage in which considerable personal and financial betrayal has occurred. A member involved in a trial who is concerned for the safety of witnesses who return home fearful of reprisals on the part of relatives and fellow gang members of the convicted one who is also who are also neighbors. Members concerned about the battle going on in our political system particularly in the last 24 hours, to determine who shall be admitted to our nation and who shall not. What constitutes security? And what constitutes a threat to security? Who is true? What is true to who we are? And what is not true to who we are? And what tools of executive order, legal appeal, legislation, public or official speech, media, and protest are all utilized in this battle? In light of these human situations in which we live, we cannot help but ask, are the Beatitudes commandments to follow in this life? Or are they descriptions of the life to come? Do they constitute a moral code for the marketplace and the relations between nations, races, and religions? 
Or are they more indicative of what life is to be in the church, the monastery, the utopian religious community? Are the Beatitudes commandments or aspirations? Are they reflections of the way things are under God or the way things ought to be? Are they an aesthetic ideal for which we can pray, but for which in reality we can only wait and hope? Are they a compendium of ethics concerning how we are to treat members of our own family and our circle of friends? Or are they a picture of how we are to construct the political and economic orders of the community, the nation, the world in which we live? No one argues with the Beatitudes except perhaps Machiavelli and Hobbes and Nietzsche. But most of us wonder if they are realistic. And thus we ask, what role do they play in our faith and in our life? One aspect of the Beatitudes that may be helpful in answering this question is to acknowledge that while they are creative and idealistic, they emerge from and are embedded within a structure that is orderly, ongoing, and rooted in history. Like their predecessor, the Ten Commandments, they arise at a particular time within the history of the people of God. You see, Moses delivered the Ten Commandments between the time the people of Israel had been freed from 400 years of slavery and the time they would enter the Promised Land with still 40 years of wilderness facing ahead of them. The people of Israel were in the earliest stages of their formation as a nation. They did not have a land or political leaders. The Ten Commandments are given to them as more or less a founding document, a set of principles that define who they are as the people of God. As creative and idealistic as they are, you shall have no other gods before you. You shall not make false use of the name of the Lord your God. You shall not covet. The Ten Commandments arise within a structure, an order, a history that help constitute an identity of a people, the people of God. The same is true of their successors, the Beatitudes. Like Moses, Jesus had been taken to Egypt for safety shortly after his birth. After a period of youth and childhood of which we see very little, he had been baptized by John the Baptist. He has endured 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He has called his first disciples and he is ready to begin his public ministry. Just as the Ten Commandments establish identity for the people of Israel, the Beatitudes establish identity for those within the people of Israel who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. Thus the Beatitudes speak to what it means to be a Christian and they speak to what it means to be a church. As we seek to embody them, we are stepping into the Judeo-Christian heritage. We are stepping into the church. We are stepping into the people of God. As creative and challenging as they are, they are creative and challenging within an ordered history and structure. To answer the question of time, 
Are the Beatitudes a description of the present life? Or are they a description of the life to come? The answer is both. Notice that the first part of each beatitude is an indicative statement in the present tense. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are you when people revile and persecute you. There is nothing in these Beatitudes that imply that their blessings are reserved solely for the life to come. Blessed are you, they say. Blessed are you here and now. But there's a future dimension to the second half of most of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Clearly there is an element of promise to the Beatitudes. The fullness of blessing does not all happen in the present. Not all blessedness is present tense. The Beatitudes are harbingers of blessings to come as well. To answer the question of scope, there is little sense in the New Testament that Jesus came simply to bring a new set of personal ethics concerning relationships with those with whom we are already close. Just as Moses had delivered the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai in preparation for the people of Israel entering the Promised Land, Jesus not only delivers the Beatitudes from a mountain to begin his ministry, he will commission his same disciples from another mountain after his death and resurrection to go and make disciples of all nations. As the gospel spreads following the death and resurrection of Jesus, it is crucial, it's crucial and central teaching known as the Beatitudes is for all nations, all peoples, all times, not just for Christians in our family lives, our churches, or our religious orders. They are an embodiment of God's best and most loving will for all of humanity. So if the Beatitudes are both present and future, And if their scope is unlimited by sphere of life, how can they function for us? How can they come to life in our lives? To answer this question, let's look first at the meaning of the opening word of each beatitude, the word blessing. Blessed goes all the way back to the Old Testament, and its essential meaning is fortunate or happy. Indeed, Blessed by God. To be blessed is to be instilled with trust and hope that is not tied to the present circumstances. Notice, in fact, that many of the circumstances in which Jesus pronounces blessings are trying. Poverty. Poverty of spirit. Mourning. Meekness, conflict, 
the absence of peace. In addition, blessings are an aspect of what is called performative language. A blessing does not just describe or claim that God is with us in a given situation. A blessing actually brings God's presence to us in that situation. Think of this for a minute. Have you ever been ill or hospitalized and had someone come and stand with you and pray for you? Have you ever come forward during a service of healing and been anointed with oil or simply touched and heard another human being speak to you words of blessing? Have you ever had someone take your hand or place their arm around your shoulder and hear them give thanks to God on your behalf for the person with whom you have walked and talked and kept sweet counsel for 20 or 40 or 60 years and from whom life has just been lifted in the bed beside which you stand? The pronouncing of blessing in these situations is performative. It announces God's blessing, yes. It invokes God's blessing, yes. But it also brings God's blessing. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Finally, when Beatitudes make their way into our lives bearing their blessing, they bring to us a rare mixture of solidity and song. The word blessed appears in Psalm 40 with this mix. I waited patiently for the Lord, the psalmist says. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit, the miry bog. And he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. Solidity. In the next verse, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Song. Then, blessed are those who make the Lord their trust. Blessing. Blessing brings solidity and song. It puts our feet on solid ground. It leads music to travel up from our hearts to our lips. There's an example well known within the philosophy of language that illustrates this solidity and song of blessing. Language, writes J.L. Austin, is like the lamp on the miner's forehead. In the darkness of a mine, the darkest physical place a human being can be, the lamp illustrates, illuminates a path ahead. 
as the miner moves forward, turns her head to the right or to the left, the view changes. A different part of the mine, mine is illumined. A different part of the path forward. The lamp allows the miner to feel along the walls, to see drop-offs and impediments in the path ahead, to remain on solid ground, to avoid shafts and pools of water. With the lamp on the forehead, the miner finds his way slowly through the darkness to solid ground, one step at a time, to return each night to home, to family, to warmth, to safety, to shower, and most of all, to song. Solidity and song. That is what the Beatitudes provide. The blessing of the miner's lamp. Amen.